You're listening to the Podcast Detroit Network. Visit www.podcastdetroit.com for more information. You've now tuned in to the Drawing Board Podcast, a powerful, thought-provoking discussion where we talk about family, relationships, ministry, community, and career. Let's see what exciting guests we have on our show today. Welcome to the Drawing Board Podcast. This is the founder and the host, Andre Ebron. And today is an awesome day. Today is an amazing day. I want you uh, to begin each one of your days with this declaration. I start each day uh, and I end up saying, today I will manifest what I believe. And then I go into a host of declarations, knowing that we are loved, that we are called, that we are chosen, that we are set apart, that we have a mission, that God has a plan for our life. And today is another day that we get a chance to see his grace, his mercy, and his favor enacted anew in our lives. And the only thing that we have to do is trust, believe, and act upon what it is that we know. Uh, During this time of COVID-19, during this time of such uncertainty, uh, one thing that we can know for sure is that God is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. I would like to lift up the fact that we will be celebrating Father's Day this coming Sunday. How amazing is that? I want to shout out to all of the amazing fathers and father figures who are out there making a difference in the lives of their families. I want to thank, t- take the time to thank those who have chosen to be a father figure to those who may have a father who's absent. And I would also like to charge fathers out there that are listening who maybe not be as active as they need to be, I would like to share with you that your child is more interested in spending time with you than anything materialistic that you can provide. So don't allow that to be what keeps you away. They need you in their lives. I also, before I introduce my guests, would like to lift up my pastor, the chief apostle, Dr. Carol Lee Dixon, who is celebrating, has just recently celebrated 46 years in full-time ministry, 36 years of pastoring the same church, Kano's International Church, where the vision is a new quality of living produced by a new character in God, therefore bringing forth total change to the total man, body, mind, and spirit, thus making a new people of vision and voice. Why is that so important? When I, when I think about my pastor, it reminds me so much Uh, uh, She reminds me so much of the guests that I have on tonight. Uh, When my pastor went into ministry, uh, my pastor was pioneering through all types of challenges. When we talk about equity, uh, pioneering and breaking all types of glass ceilings, refusing to take no for an answer, having a vision of a new quality of living for those who would attach themselves to the vision, transforming, changing their life if they would but align themselves to who God have called them to be, recognize their inherent value, take action on their dreams, their goals, their ambitions. And then, like the scripture says, after thou have been, after thou art strengthened, go, after thou art converted, go and strengthen thy brother. I welcome to the show tonight. Glad that she took the time out of her busy schedule while she's out there on the front lines doing the the, the uh, critical work. Or we know when we take the time uh, and somebody gives you something, the most valuable asset that they have, which is their time. I'd like to welcome to the show in the drawing board nation fashion, Miss Courtney 
Monique Smith. Welcome to the show. Yeah, thank you again so much, Andre, for having me. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So, Courtney, some I'm introducing to some, presenting to others, but you are a servant leader, a story curator, a social curator, excuse me, a social entrepreneur. And here's, here's something that your bio informs us on. So there are many people who see shortcomings in our society and feel overwhelmed or apathetic. Then there are people like Courtney Ebonique Smith who roll up their sleeves and fill in the gap. She has dedicated her career to promoting equity and social justice. How befitting of a time that we're in right now. Say so you're not brand new to this work. You've been doing this for a number of years. So I, I would like to applaud you on that. Thank you. You're welcome. And then your, your bio goes on to say, recently dubbed a modern day history maker by Essence Magazine, Courtney is a champion, advocate, and servant leader, serving not only by choice, but by nature. Her undeniable tenacity birthed the Detroit Phoenix Center. Let me tell you, one of, one of my proudest moments in hearing about the Detroit Phoenix Center uh, is watching Harrison when we were down right in front of the uh, Charles H. Wright Museum. And of course, you know, from the ashes comes the Phoenix. Um, and when he when he screamed with such passion, from the ashes comes the Phoenix. I was like, oh, man, this guy is embodying her vision of transforming lives. Mm-hmm. And that, that comes with the power of shared vision. So, yeah. again, I, I wanted to toot your horn and say awesome job in cultivating such a powerful team. Yeah, thank you. And, and they're amazing. I have a wonderful team. Absolutely. And so you are a, a, the Detroit Phoenix Center is a high impact nonprofit organization that operates the first asset based center meeting critical, holistic and emergent needs of homeless and street connected youth. If you could take some time and just kind of unpack that for us an yeah. asset based resource center. Break that down for us. Yeah. So um, it's funny when a lot of people ask me, so Courtney, what is the asset-based resource center? So I have a funny story for that. So um, the way that the Detroit Phoenix Center came about was I took a train journey. Um, I was one of 25 um, millennials across the country who decided like we were going to hop on a train um, for 14 days. And we were literally just going to go to six major cities and we were going to solve a problem that was dear to our heart. It just, it just so happened that I chose the issue of youth homelessness. So I went to these major cities and I interviewed youth and I interviewed CEOs and executive directors of these agencies that were serving these young people. And what I came to find out was the best way to serve youth in the community was through what is known as a drop-in center. So um, it's basically a low-barrier approach to meeting a young person's need. It's an alternative to a shelter. It's reaching the hardest-to-reach young people where they can drop in, literally just drop in and take a shower. They can wash their clothes. They can access the food pantry, a computer lab. Um, they they can access lockers, a, a basically a safe space that they need to sleep. They can sleep. Um, they can access bu- bus tickets and basically um, wraparound support. So not only that, but we're doing financial workshops. We're doing workforce development, cooking classes, um, 
social enterprise training. So different things to meet their whole needs. So that's what we mean when we say holistic. And wraparound basically means like when you're talking about a person, you're not just looking at their siloed need of maybe they're experiencing homelessness, but also knowing that homelessness tend to be an offset of something else. And so maybe, you know, something that comes out of someone experiencing homelessness is a mental health challenge or a barrier to education or a barrier to transportation or a barrier to accessing resources in the community. So we look at all of those barriers and we look to meet those needs. And so um, to go back to your question, when I was um, doing this train journey, I had met someone and I was telling them about like the drop-in center. So California had like 12 drop-in centers and Detroit had zero. Mm-hmm. So it was like, okay, Detroit doesn't have one drop-in center, but but San Francisco can fit inside of Detroit in terms of acreage. We do, we have a lot of young people who are street connected that need these services. Why don't we have this service model here? So as I began to do more research, I was talking with one of our on-train mentors and he said, well, why are you calling a drop-in center? And I said, well, that's what the other you know, places called it. He was like, well, you're a social entrepreneur. You're building something. So you could call it whatever you want to call it. And so I coined the phrase asset base because drop-in implies that they're going to come in and they're going to go. But asset base looks at the strength-based perspective. It looks at not only what we're bringing to the table, but what they're bringing to us. Um, And so we coined the phrase asset-based resource center that provides drop-in services because we don't want it to be limited to people who um, think that they can or that they just want to drop in and drop out. Um, we want to create a community where people feel where, where the, those that we serve have a family, uh, where they feel connected, that they feel safe, they feel supported, they feel valued. Absolutely. And clearly um, the results of your work uh, has has caused you to be acknowledged and noticed across this entire nation on some very, very large platforms. Uh, one of the things I wanted to dive into, though, I wanted to ask you and investigate uh, your why on. I'm curious to why you chose homelessness, youth homelessness. Um, there was many reasons why I chose youth homelessness. So prior to starting the Detroit Phoenix Center, I was working at a national advocacy organization. So I worked there for three years as their youth task force coordinator. It was a national homelessness advocacy organization um, that I worked with. Um, So I kind of knew the challenges that young people who were um, experiencing homelessness had from a policy standpoint, from a high level um, standpoint. Um, And so I, and, and then working with other nonprofits, I was always connected to the homelessness space. Um, but also my own lived experience also informs just some of the work that I do in addition to my education and also my work experience. Um, but during this particular time in my life that I decided to explore homelessness for the Millennials Train Project, it was because um, my youngest brother was actually street connected. He didn't necessarily identify as being homeless, but he was one of the young people that 
just like many of his friends were literally just literally street connected. And so um, as I was allowing him and his friends into the home that I was renting, it was like four of us living in a house and I'm blowing up air mattresses. I'm passing out food and my roommates are complaining saying like, you know, you're running something out of this house. My landlord threatened to evict me. And I literally felt powerless because I had to tell my youngest brother and his friends that they could no longer come to this space that they felt safe. And so I asked myself, where, where do people like my youngest brother go who also had his own lived experience, um, similar to my own, but also very different and his friends, like, where do they go? How do they get what they need if they don't navigate the traditional shelter system? And so that's where my wheels got to turning and saying, like, there has to be another service model that works because my youngest brother was eight years younger than me. But I experienced homelessness at his age. So here I am watching another cycle that's being perpetuated. And so, unfortunately, very, 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 very tragically, um, my youngest brother died by suicide um, uh, maybe a few days before the Phoenix Center opened. Um, And that really 10x the work that I do. Um, I often say that deep-seated pain can either cripple us or move us to show up in the world as a better version of ourselves. And I decided that at our grand opening, because not only did my brother contribute to the building out of the Phoenix Center, his friends also showed up to the grand opening because they said this is all Blair was his name that he talked about this week. So we're still going to come, even though we're experiencing this great tragedy. And on that day, I had to decide how who I was going to be. And I decided that I no longer wanted to be a person that waited around until I had resources, um, that waited around until I had permission, that waited around until I had 100% of the plan in place to meet a need in my community. I wanted to do it with everything that I had in me, which is the reason why in three years, Detroit Phoenix Center has grown to be the organization that it is right now, because literally the deepest pain in my life um, was turned for good and then that beauty for ashes um but it's also the story of the phoenix so it's definitely very visceral the work is very spiritual for me um and my why is also the young people that we service there are so many young people who've been serviced by detroit phoenix center that personally knew my brother that knew his story that actually decided to take a different route in their life and to reach out to us for support um, and trust us to walk with them through that because they knew my humanity. They knew my vulnerabilities. They knew my heart. So they trusted me because my brother trusted me. Um, And I, and I, and I've just literally um, been running a marathon ever since. Um, It's, it's been hard. It's been challenging. Um, It's been humbling, but we're definitely in it for the long haul. Thank you for sharing that. And first, let me offer my condolences uh, regarding your brother. Uh, I would, uh, there's been so much work that you've done to honor him and to honor uh, what it is you were endeavoring to accomplish specifically for him. 
And let me ask you, I, I'm going to ask you because I, I feel almost a, a prophetic unction and moment uh, in this for someone who's listening, especially because we're, I find that so many people in COVID-19 have experienced pain in a way that has been totally uncharacteristic of their entire life. Um, and transforming pain into something that's productive. Uh, you talked about your personal lived experiences and how you were able to take that pain and transform it into something that is now uh, seems to be deeply connected to your, not just your passion, but your purpose. Uh, how can, can you talk to someone right now who's listening and they might be in the midst of the, the middle of that pain or journeying or coming out of that pain or still living with that pain? Can you talk about the process of transforming that pain into something that is productive in their lived experience? Um, yes, absolutely. So one of the ways is is to find the root of that pain. Um, you have to acknowledge what that pain point is. And a lot of times our pain is rooted in a gap that's not being filled. And one of the deepest and most greatest ways to create change is to find a need and to fill that need. And so what was rooted in my pain was because there was a gap that existed and I wanted to fill that gap. And so which then in turn, I created an organization to do that, which met a need, which turned my pain, which transformed my pain into my purpose. It doesn't necessarily have to look like an organization. Maybe it can look like, you know, a story that needs to be told. Like there's no greater agony than bearing an untold story, right? So it can be a story that needs to be told. Um, there, there could be some healing that needs to take place within you, right? Like to be able to, because even through leading Detroit Phoenix Center, there was some healing that I that I had to go through in order to even find my purpose. Or I could have been clouded and operating off of my emotions the entire time. So you definitely want to heal. You want to find a need and fill it. And you want to find that hurt and aim to heal it. And so I think that has always been a guiding principle for me in transforming pain into purpose um, and transforming pain into power. And a lot of times, if you really think about it, people who have been greatly purpose-driven, the way that they found their purpose was tapping into their deepest pain point or the deepest thing that made them angry because underneath anger, all anger is a deep-rooted sadness. And that often stems from a need. That's absolutely true. I'm, I'm going to share transparently something that I do in my coaching for those that are listening. Uh, one of the exercises that I have people do from the jump, uh, from the beginning, is to write down their five most painful experiences mm. and to write down their five most uh, powerful or, uh, uh, you know, let me see. I want to talk about it from, uh, and I, just so people frame it right, five most pleasurable experiences where they have experienced great joy. So when you write down those 10 experiences, you'll kind of find like the contour or the shape of your life has been based upon those 10 experiences. And uh, I think that's great. Now you also own another business. You're a lead consultant and the owner of Humble Work and Co, a social impact coaching and consulting firm, mobilizing the next generation of change agents. Talk to me about that. 
Yeah. So as I'm leading Detroit Phoenix Center, a lot of people have asked me, um, have been asking me, how do you, you know, start a nonprofit organization? How do you pitch? Um, how do you turn pain into purpose? How do you start something that matters in your community? And a lot of young people, even like children have been, um, parents have been reaching out. And so because of that, again, there was another need. I learned that a lot of people didn't even know how to start. They felt paralyzed with these great ideas. And so on my birthday last year, I um, incorporated my business. Now, of course, um, that's definitely my newest baby. So it's a work in progress. It's something that's still being birthed. Um, But it is designed definitely to mobilize essentially the next generation of change agents is for me to share the knowledge that I have with others to create other change makers in in society oh great and now i, I want to go ahead this, this is almost like a you know they're doing all the virtual not just the virtual drive-bys but so many honking the horn celebrating graduates um, yeah. yeah so to the the graduating class of 2020 we just want to say congratulations in the middle of this interview but now i'm getting ready to do my own honk the horn drive-by uh for miss courtney so it says your outstanding uh, your outstanding commitment to service has garnered national recognition, including Comcast Newsmakers and the Steve Harvey Show. Courtney has been named to Crane's Detroit Business 20 in their 20s list of trailblazers to watch in the region. You are a Michigan Chronicle 40 Under 40 honoree, a double-time recipient of the Spirit of Detroit Award, along with many other notable achievements. But here's what you pride yourself on on being transparent and progressive, two traits that have made you a sought-after speaker related to topics of youth and community development, advocacy, and servant leadership. You have a host of things that you have your hand in, and uh, I think it removes um, the excuse for anyone else. Like when, when I get a chance to hear, I, I always ask when I see people who are extremely effective at moving the needle and helping people, I always ask this question, this question, and I'm asking you this question. Uh, why didn't you quit? What kept you from quitting? No, <clears throat> what kept me from quitting is knowing that someone's life is attached to the work that I do. Um, and there have been many a times, like I'm going through a situation right now where I am literally in the fight for it, but that's, that is, being that's being a business owner that is being a servant leader those those tests and those trials come but knowing that the purpose is bigger than me if i quit then someone else's life is attached to the call of my life someone else's mission is attached to me fulfilling this mission it's definitely uh, um work that is close to what i believe it's close to god's heart and I, when I stand before God at the end of my life, I would like to say that I use every gift, every resource, every calling that was given to me to make the world a more equitable and just place. It's not just about me. So that's why I can't quit. Because if I quit, then that means I made it about me because something is not working for me. And when you decide to give your life 
and become a servant leader, your life is sacrificial. Your life is no longer essentially your life. It's a life that you put before others. And that's the difference between people who say that they're servant leaders or our traditional leadership model. Servant leaders put the needs of others before their needs. Absolutely. And what I what I find is that word servant leader is so loosely used. Um, yeah. And and I, I and when people give the model, particularly um, when when they give the model of Jesus Christ as the ultimate servant leader, uh, I often wonder, yeah, I often wonder if they think about how that narrative is structured, how, how he, the reason he's considered this ultimate servant leader is because he chose to die for the people whom he loved to reconcile them back to God. That is true servant leadership, as you explained. And I think to me to date, that has probably been one of the best answers uh, because it's tr- the truth uh, is that living a sacrificial life. I think about, um, you know, uh, how Paul said he he died so that Christ may live through him, that he no longer lives, but that Christ lives through him. And I, I get a chance to see that. Now, when we were standing, uh, I, we were standing out in front of um, the Charles H. Wright Museum. There was a little gentleman. Uh, that is near and dear to your heart, your yes. nephew, and he yes. was out there, uh, you know, getting donations and making sure that the protesters had what they need. And when I tell you, just the if I had on a, a button-up shirt, like the buttons would have just been popping off my shirt because I got a chance to it. it I, I maintain a level of hope because of faith, but when yes. I you get a chance to see the youth take the horns of the altar and really like lead. He's like, listen, I want to serve the people who are out here making a difference. I want you to be comfortable. And then when I heard him go into his passionate roar and he was like, it's not right, you know, (laughs) and and to hear him lift his voice. uh, When I tell you it did something for me uh, who has been on the front lines uh, advocating for children and family for years, when I tell you that that encouraged inspired me, and I get a chance to see in, in your family like that, that I just wanted to take the time to say, "Wow, that that made a, a huge difference and was very inspirational to me." Yeah, we are all so very proud of Drake, and um, I, I'm and his parents are proud. I'm proud of him, and just to know that he's been watching. Um, he's typically at a lot of the Detroit Phoenix Center events. He has a heart for this work. Um, and, and that's another reason why, you know, because there are others, you know, like my nephew who has a calling to this and he doesn't even know what it is right now. But because he see his he sees his aunt, he sees his mom, he sees his dad. Here's someone that started at 10 years old. That's literally going to be so much further along um, than we are, but he's going to change the world. And it's just heartwarming. Like, like kids can lead to, and I, and I, and I know that that seed was planted from the work that, that we do um, with him watching and seeing and knowing the values. Um, And so I definitely, 
was very humble um, as well. I actually came to the to the event as auntie and not an official capacity for the organization because I was so proud and because I wanted to support him um, in in the best way that I could. So you aren't the only one whose heart was is, was beating and jumping. <laughs> right, I'm telling you. And really, what I loved was like the um, the fearlessness. Uh, yes. That is so important in doing this work. Uh, there, were, I get a lot of people coming to me, Courtney, and I would love for you to speak to this, uh, just the reality of it. And it's not often talked about because you don't want to discourage people, but just the reality that when you serve on the front lines of an advocate, there is personal injury that comes with advocacy. Oh, absolutely. And you don't, and you don't want to underestimate um when, especially when we're talking about shifting the current social climate, racial climate, um, yeah. when we talk about adjusting people's equity lens that causes them to confront their own prejudice and bias like that. That is not a uh, kumbaya like moment. No, this is you're talking about friction with new ideologies, methodologies, systems. Yes. Like this is. Uh, and, and I, and I'm not talking about, when I say this, I'm not talking about looting, but this is a violent process. Revolution is not a, uh, a peaceful walk through the park. Revolution is the collision of ideas, uh, the fight for freedom, the ability to speak out and be heard, the ability to do the work behind the scenes of yeah. three, four, five, six, like there's personal injury. There can be professional injury. When you yeah. stand up for what's right for people. Yeah. And it because it comes with the cost, right? It comes with the cost. You have to be willing to sacrifice something. You have to be willing to lose something. You have to be willing to stand for something. And it comes with the cost. And, and we have to embrace that productive discomfort. That's what I like to call it. That's I like good. to call it productive discomfort. Because it's necessary. That tension is necessary in order for us to become better versions. Like even what we're experiencing right now in the entire world is this tension is necessary because you can't, we can't come out of this the same way that we came in. Just like leading an organization where you're experiencing some tension, leading a ministry, leading even a podcast, you you have to experience that productive discomfort in order to grow. It, it's what I like also like to call the pruning process. It, it is it's, it's necessary. Yes, I saw that quote uh, that you put on your page. You says, you know, many people uh, I can't I don't have it all the way down, but. Many people essentially want. Uh, the productive portion of life, but they don't want to go through the pruning process. Yeah, because it's uncomfortable and it doesn't feel good. And as a generation, we've been made to believe that we don't have to necessarily feel things that's uncomfortable. We just want positive energy, positive vibes. But that discomfort is a part of long suffering. And long suffering is necessary sometimes in order for things to be actualized for the best versions to to, to come out. And so even with leading Detroit Phoenix Center, it has definitely been those moments of great tension. But I've grown 
as a leader. I've grown as a person. Even through those great pain points, I had to actually process that pain. I had to feel that pain. I, I had to work through that pain, walk through that pain so that I can speak to others who may be going through that pain today. You just said a mouthful of uh, processing pain, walking through pain. And um, and also failure. Right. Um, right. Mistakes. Failure. Um, it, it all it all comes together. Humility. Also recognizing like our own privileges and and some of the things that we need to, to change about ourselves in order to fulfill the mission, in order to fulfill the purpose. Right. You know what I what I find interesting, Courtney, would love your vantage point on this is that I think we especially when we're talking about raising the next generation is mm-hmm. sometimes I think we over that we magnify a mistake uh, or demonize a mistake when really a mistake is proof that there's effort there. Even though it was something done that was incorrect, there's energy, there's effort, there's motivation there. And once it's learned, this is what Dr. Cindy Trim said. She said, mistakes are the tuition you pay for your success in the future. And so I, I love that. I coined that. I want you to talk about uh, what have been some of the either vicarious or in like in business or personal, what has been some of the, the greatest lessons uh, from some of the, the greatest mistakes? Talk to me about that. Yeah. So one that I can really, that I often go to is I talk about my matriculation um, as I matriculated through college. And I, I am very much so, well, at least I used to be very much, I've grown so much a person who literally measured success in like my GPA, right? I wanted to get all A's. I wanted to do well. If I wasn't, getting all A's, then it was no point. I'm like all or nothing, like very extreme until I was on the last semester of graduating and I failed biology. And it was the the thing that I thought, the thing that I've been dreading to happening the whole time ended up being one of the best things that could have ever happened to me because I learned the irony of failure. I learned that I was okay, that I was going to be okay, that the world didn't end because I failed. Essentially, it opened the door for me to even gain more because I end up spending an additional semester at the university connecting with a support program that I needed to be a part of, which in the end opened the door for me to work in a department that that a position was created for me. So it was through that failure that birthed other successes. And I learned a lesson through that was to allow myself to experience um, that failure and to fall fast, right? And to fall fast and to learn a lesson from that. I have so many stories of, of, of fault failure, um, which I don't even like to say like, oh, I failed. It was an opportunity for growth. It was an opportunity for a lesson to be learned. Um, and, and so many, even in, 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 in the work that I do, some of the decisions that I make, 
um, as a leader, the hard decisions. I remember going through a process with someone I trusted to perform a service that I hired to perform a service. And I quickly learned that that person did not necessarily have the skill set to mm-hmm. perform that service, but that was a lesson that I learned, right? So you learn how to navigate from business, from professional, from personal, how to navigate those um, those opportunities for growth, <laughs> if you will. Yes. So I always give my guests the challenge. I wait till it comes up and uh, <laughs> literally waits to, I wait till the Lord speaks to me. So here's my challenge to you. All right. So I saw I saw the word uh, if I could kind of uh, qualify the interview or just me watching you. You have this strong sense of an overcomer. Right. When I get around people, it, you carry that that uh, the persona of an overcomer. And so I would love to either. No, this this is not a co-write. This is a you write. <laughs> but uh, you, it's called overcoming the Courtney Ebonique Smith story. And I think about the scripture that says, in this world, you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer for I've overcome them all. And grounding that and just looking at your narrative and chew on it, see if it's something that you want to do. But that is my challenge to you, overcoming, because overcoming is a process. It's a continual process of opportunities for growth and success, right? And so uh, it's a continual process. It's a daily process. It's really uh, overcoming is really a dying of self. Yeah. And embrace uh, that newness of life, that beauty for ashes, oil of joy for mourning, garment of praise for spirit of heaviness, or the story of the phoenix rising from the ashes anew, right? So yeah. overcoming, what do you think about it? The Courtney Ebony Smith story. I definitely think that. Um that that is the definitely would be the narrative of my life um just overcoming constant every single day we're overcoming something right and just to never cower when things get rough or when life throws us limits but to continue to power through um i do have on my radar um uh, a book in my, in my being, in my soul, <laughs> yes. um, but it's all in timing. So I definitely will say that, um, that your, that your discernment is, 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 is spot on. Um, but definitely this, the narrative of my life has definitely been overcoming for sure. So thank Excellent. you for that. Yeah, no problem. So I can't wait to read it. I can't wait to, uh I can't wait for people to use it as a as a story uh, to speak to so many youth, uh, because mm-hmm. one thing that I realized and I know that you can say is that youth are prepared to take action. Uh, yes. Yes. And I think there's so many people here. Here's what I found is that uh, a lot of people like to talk about running a race and remember when they used to run the race. Yeah. And then will refuse to give youth opportunities to run. Because really what ends up happening is youth will outrun you. And when you release them to to actually develop in their potential mistakes and all or opportunities to to grow and all, like literally you'll end up fueling their vision with your wisdom. And it takes such humility. Here goes to submit to the vision of the youth. Mm, Yeah. 
Yeah. I think that's so empowering. Like when I, when I, I'll just, I'll just uh, use the example of your nephew uh, when hit with him having a vision and I was watching, you know, I, I was observing how uh, you were positioned in one place. Your sister was there. Uh, there were a couple other uh, look like family members or supporters there. And when he was getting ready to talk, he would, he looked for assurance at first. And then once I heard go Drake, he just took it and ran with it. <laughs> yeah. And it was amazing how I was watching to, to me, I was watching kind of like how the scripture unfolds, you know, call the old, I won't say old, you know, we're going to call it the older <laughs> yeah. because they are wise and we call the young because they're strong. Mm, uh, so yeah. I have a question for you. Just, um, looking at all of your lived experience, how you've been able to travel the nation uh, speak to people on different platforms, uh, different from socioeconomic status to positions and political views. Like, what shapes your worldview? All of that. M- my worldview is a culmination of my experiences, all of that together. Um, but I'm definitely a, a person of faith. Um, and so much of my worldview is through the lens of being what I, what I identify as a Christian woman, mm-hmm. um, as a black woman, right. As someone who all of my, everything that I've experienced in life has been viewed through the lens of faith. Um, even through the other identities that I hold, um, as an overcomer, um, because I've overcome through faith, right? Um, as someone who is a black woman that has literally broken through some glass ceilings when things have been, when obstacles have been placed in my way is because I know who I am and I know whose I am and that identity. And I know who created me and where I'm, where my feet are firm. Right. Um, and also even some of the things that I, I, I've also tried to bury um, that I was ashamed of um, generational things that have been a part of my life, but also knowing that they don't have to stay a part of my life because of who I am and whose I am. So my worldview was definitely shaped um, just by my faith and the other identities and the culmination of, of things that I've experienced. Thank you for sharing your worldview and your perspective and how faith uh, has helped you navigate and overcome and all of those other experiences uh, that your worldview is the culmination, or I would say like the amalgamation of all of those things together. Um, One of the things that I ask, and I always, I was saying that I challenge people to examine their life, reimagine the possibilities. Uh, I just say this to provoke thought, to provoke vision, to think about things is when we look at our current opportunities, have we exhausted all of the possibilities? I just to sit right there. If I was preaching, I would say Salah. But have we, at our current opportunities, have we exhausted all of the possibilities? And could the challenge that we are facing be directed to cause us to discover that there's more possibilities left. Uh, we have about 10 minutes left in the interview. 
I know you guys have events coming up. Can you share? You guys were just uh, recognized by Thrill List of uh, how to support black the black community in Detroit. And you yeah. all were no, noted there. That's amazing. Uh, Business Magazine gave you guys the COVID-19 uh, organization. He, you guys were noted as a hero. Yeah. And then talk to me about this, this Juneteenth event that you have coming up. Yeah. So, you know, right now the country is in the the whole world, you know, is experiencing a lot of um, tur- turmoil. We're on the brink of a revolution, but it also can be emotionally taxing. So we know that um, some of the young people that we service and families that we service may be experiencing some, you know, trials and tribulations during this time, but we want to promote Black joy. We want to promote Black excellence. We want to promote um, positivity and spread that throughout. We do bi-weekly deliveries to our families, but because of Juneteenth, it's just such a prominent um, holiday for our community. We really wanted to amp it up a bit. So we're going to be doing a parade where we're going to be visiting our families and just, you know, showering them with love and joy and 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 smiling happiness and laughter because we deserve that too during this time and any opportunity for us to 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 do that we want to embrace that so that's going to happen on Friday and we're going to be dropping off household essentials food educational activities and just making some noise um in the name of freedom in the name of joy that's great I want to lift something and loft it as a balloon as we get ready to close out, uh, you know, this interview. First, let me say thank you for coming on the show. Uh, I have thoroughly enjoyed our conversation. We have uh, we haven't had an opportunity to really this is our first really in-depth conversation. Uh, Mm -hmm. We've kind of met a couple of different times, but I I have thoroughly enjoyed uh, picking your brain. I have so many other questions Yes, and uh, learning about the power of your story and the work you're doing in the community. So again, thank you for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. I'm so honored to to be a guest with so many others who are doing great work in the community. Um, and thank you for using your platform to, to elevate our work. Truly appreciate it. Yes, absolutely. It, that's, I feel like it is our, uh, it is our duty to do so. Uh, There's a quote that says, we come as one, but we stand as Mm 10,000. And when I think about um, the liberties and the freedom that we're currently able to enjoy, I was sharing uh, on another platform, I said, I I have to know that those liberties and those freedoms are soaked uh, in the blood of my ancestors uh, in the late hours uh, that they worked in, the freedom that they fought for. And so I must uh, make sure that. I share the love, the power, the joy, the word, the truth, to speak truth to power uh, to those who will follow and those who are co-laboring with me. So I, I, I look at all of us, uh, even though we may be working uh, in our respective industries, that as a, a unity, uh, unity within humanity, but specifically in the African-American Black community, that we haven't... As you said, you were saying that we have and are deserving of love and joy. So I, uh, again, uh, applaud you for your work. Uh, I encourage you. I encourage everybody that's listening to me 
Uh, go ahead and give them your social media as well as uh, your website. Where can they find you? Yeah. How can they follow you? How can they support? Yeah. So in order to visit um, to the Detroit Phoenix Center, you could go to www.DetroitPhoenixCenter.org. Our Instagram is Detroit Phoenix Center. Our Facebook is Detroit Phoenix Center. We're always looking for volunteers. Um, we are accepting non-perishable um, food items that we're collecting um, because we do do deliveries um, biweekly. So those are some ways that that you that people can support if they're interested. Our website lists all of those things, and we're also often updating our social in real time. Excellent. And if they want to reach out to you uh, to be a speaker, uh, if they want to reach out to you for consulting services through Humble and Co. Uh, how can they reach you there? Um, well, they can just definitely find me on Instagram at Courtney, um, Ebonique. And there's a contact form there that they can actually complete and be connected to me that way. Excellent. Excellent. I want to on the spot informally invite you and we'll deal out with the logistics. Uh, we'll figure all of that out later. But I would love for you for the Drawing Board Experience 2021, which will be June 5th, 2021. That's the first Saturday in June. I would love for you to be on the platform as a speaker. Well, definitely would truly be honored to do so. And we definitely can discuss that offline. Um, but way to cast vision and to know that these years are not canceled and it is okay for us to still look and to plan for the future. I actually appreciate that so much. So thank you Absolutely. for everything. Yeah, you're welcome. So I share with everybody, this is the drawing board. Uh, we have, I want you to go to the drawingboardnation.com. It is a movement. You all know there's the book, The Drawing Board, Powerful, Thought-Provoking Testimonial, challenging the reader to examine their life and reimagine the possibilities. There's the podcast where we're talking about family, relationships, ministry, community, and career. There is the Drawing Board Experience, where that is a combination of all of those things. And industry professionals who are out there doing the work come to speak truth to power and to do three things, inspire, motivate, and transform. Here's my challenge to the entire world that's listening to me. I don't want you to wait on an experience to take place. The Drawing Board Nation is committed to doing this, creating the experience that will transform the world. That might be your individual world. That might be the world as you know it. I want you to see that all it takes is a shift in paradigm and perspective for you to see the endless possibilities that exists within your current opportunity. Again, Courtney, uh, I believe that this is the beginning of a, a budding friendship of us getting to know each other and doing the, the collective work. So um, again, as we close out, drawing board nation, hit her up. Let's let, you know, let it be known that you are supporting. You have some things coming up. There's always to do. So don't ever say that you didn't have an opportunity to do the work because there's always an opportunity to do the work. God bless you all. Have an amazing evening. Thank you so much, Andre. Have a wonderful evening. All right. You too. Bye. Bye-bye.